Amen, amen. Well, good morning. I am Danny Kilgore. I am one of the pastors on staff here, and I have the pleasure of speaking to you this morning. And as we continue our summer in the scriptures, First Peter series, I will be using the scripture, First Peter chapter three, verses one through seven. <sighs> yeah, it's okay, ladies. You can't excel. It's not that kind of sermon, all right? <laughs> it's not that kind. However, I do believe that God has given me a word for today. So if you would grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. And I'll be reading from the NIV version, the New International Version. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 7 says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Verse three, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Verse seven, husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, when we began our Bible reading, I shared that First Peter is one of those books that has caused me to just to pause, have a little tension. And it's because historically, and even still today, these scriptures were used to justify the oppression of marginalized groups. Over and over, I would hear this scripture recited and chanted at wives and women about their godly obedience to their husbands. And sadly, people would use these scriptures to send women back to marriages that were deemed unhealthy and unsafe. And furthermore, pastors and preachers would use this set of scriptures to urge husbands to respect their wives because they were weak. Now I have to be honest. When I saw that I was the one preaching on this passage, I, I was shocked. Like out of all the preaching pastors, I'm the one teaching about wife submission, like the sassiest wife. And may I say one of the most opinionated preachers on staff, like really me, I, I was beside myself. <laughs> I thought for a slight second, like for a moment, that my husband and Jeff were in cahoots. I was like, yeah, they've been talking about something, <laughs> really. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but seriously, I thought, Lord, why of all people would you have me preach on this passage? I mean, if I'm honest, I don't even know if I wholeheartedly believe all that it has to say. 
But at that moment though, I realized that I was, re I was reacting to the text versus responding. See, I had a preconceived notion of what it was about, what it had to say, what I was supposed to do, and I didn't want any parts of it. However, the Holy Spirit invited me to dig deeper, to take another look and allow him to lead me down a new path. He was asking me to enable him to reframe my perspective. So I read the passage. As a matter of fact, I read it several times. I read it in five different translations, twice in NIV. I read it aloud. I allowed the audio to read to me. I underlined, I highlighted, I cross-checked, I looked up Greek definitions, read commentaries and articles. And do you want to know what I found out? This passage isn't about marriage at all. As a matter of fact, Peter isn't speaking to all wives. He isn't, he isn't even talking to all Christian wives. Preachers again and again chose 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 7 to discuss marriage as a whole, but it isn't about marriage as a whole, or at least not how it has been taught. Peter is speaking explicitly to Christian wives of non-Christian husbands, as well as husbands of, of non-Christian wives. Mic drop, exit stage left. Mind blown. Why has this text been used so many times out of context? Now, I would be remiss to think that this passage doesn't apply to some of you today. And during my preparation for today's sermon, I believe that God gave me great insight. And if this passage refers to you directly, I would love an opportunity to Zoom chat with you. However, for the majority of us, this just not is the case. Knowing this, I was faced with a dilemma. If this passage is not speaking about marriage as a whole, if it's not talking to all wives, if it's not even speaking to all Christian wives and husbands, then I had to ask myself, what am I supposed to get from this particular and directly spoken set of scriptures? What can all believers learn from this group of Christians? Well, I believe that God is teaching us how we are to interact with those who do not believe the way we do. This is why I titled this sermon, Revising Your Strategy. Revising the Strategy. When God created humankind, he created them to live in harmony, peace, and unity. He placed them in a garden called Eden and provided them with a life filled with, the rest, with rest and relaxation, provisions and abundance. However, because they disobeyed God's only rule, we were forced out and into this world which we live. But God loved us so much, he gave us a strategy on how to live in this world together and how to resist and overcome sin. But as time went on, that strategy had to be revised. So he sent his son, Jesus, to provide us with salvation. 
You know, every day Jesus walked the earth, he modeled the approach of how we are to live with those who do not believe the way we do. Peter, having the privilege of witnessing this firsthand, is teaching us in this passage that for you to be in community with someone who disagrees with you or doesn't believe the way you do, you must first readjust your posture. You must readjust your posture. Verse one says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. People disagree. We disagree about politics, money, healthcare, education, religion. We disagree about how you raise your child, animals. We disagree about the planet. We disagree about the clothes you wear, the food you should eat, how you should wear your hair. People would disagree about the color of the sky if we were given the opportunity. We are humans with opinions. Therefore, there will come a time when we disagree. You know, animals, they disagree too. But here's the difference. When they differ or when they have a a disagreement, they fight until the other one lets out or they die. You know, somewhere down the line, we as believers began functioning like the animal kingdom rather than the kingdom of God. When I reflect on the world we live in, Christians have taken on a new posture. We're becoming more like the world and less like Christ. And this isn't just towards the unbeliever. No, this is with each other. Show show that picture again. Yes, this is the posture we have taken towards those saved and unsaved who don't believe what we believe. Even if we're right, we want to beat the right into them. Family, it's time to readjust our posture. See here, Peter is asking the wife to submit to her own unbelieving husband. Wait a minute though. Why would Peter emphasize her own husband? Maybe it's because she was submitting to some other authority. Think about it. The news stations we listen to, the podcasts we listen to, the people we hang with, we choose those all because they agree on what we accept as truth. And when someone you are in community with doesn't agree with you or doesn't believe what you believe, we become less submissive. You begin to disregard their authority or leadership. Our body language, our words, all become weapons of disgust and disgrace. See, I can imagine these wives continually pointing out to their husbands what was wrong and why they were right. No one likes a nag. (laughs) See, we swat flies because they're annoying. They buzz around your face and house and you can never catch them. No one likes that. You know the saying, don't don't kill a fly with a sledgehammer? Yeah, I believe that was coined because of the intensity nagging creates. Peter is saying, if we want to win someone over, our posture has to adjust. If they are leaders in our lives, 
like a husband, we must submit or yield to their leadership. If someone in our community disagrees with us, we must not use our words, but rather live a life that is pure and worth revering. And as a result, God says that a person will see the posture of your life and in turn readjust theirs. It's our lives that win people over, not our words. So the second thing that Peter is teaching us is that we must also redirect our focus. Verse three says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. When we want something to go our way, we have some interesting strategies. You know, as little ones, we powdered our lips and make a sad face. As teenagers, we clean up the house or give our mom all the compliments in the world. As we get older and we become adults, we tend to take on the more elaborate approach. We use our resources to persuade someone. We speak their love language to get them to bend. We dress up, we buy gifts, we cook amazing dinners. Whatever we can do, we will do. But there's no one more craftier than a woman. My husband says, if God made anything better than a woman, he kept it for himself. <laughs> yes, woman, women, we are blessed with the power of persuasion and we can thank Eve for that. <laughs> But I, for one, can attest to using these powers for good and sometimes not so good. Mostly good though. I can remember a time before we had our daughter when I wanted my husband to say yes to me selling Mary Kay. So I went out, I bought a lovely dress because he loved it when I wore dresses. I cleaned up the house immaculately. And for those of you who know me, <laughs> you know I do not like cleaning up at all. I like a clean house, but I don't want to be the one doing it. I made his favorite two dishes, homemade lasagna and chocolate cake. I lit candles, set the table, played romantic music, and right before he came in, I splashed myself with perfume that I would call the deal closer. <laughs> Yeah, when my husband walked in, he didn't know what was going on. I sat him down, made him a plate, and as he ate happily, I commenced to tell him my plan to become the top-selling Mary Kay cosmetic uh, seller of all, being able to gain and win not just one, but two pink Cadillacs. My husband laughed so hard, and he said, you did all this for that? Why not just say what's on your heart instead of going through all this trouble? I have to admit, I was a little embarrassed and he was right at the end. I went on to sell Mary Kay for all of three months. <laughs> yeah, you know, we can go to great lengths to try and persuade someone one way or the other. I think Peter was calling out the strategies the wives were using to convince their unsafe husbands to believe. 
He was telling him that hair and jewelry and clothes aren't how you win someone over. Our focus should not be on acts and deeds. We shouldn't be focused on using materialistic and carnal tactics, but instead redirect our focus to that of the heart. See, my husband, though he enjoyed all the efforts, <laughs> preferred me just to talk to him and tell him what was on my heart. You know, as believers, we learn from Peter that how we say something is just as important as what we say. Truth be told, no matter how much swag you have, <laughs> if your heart isn't right, you won't be effective at winning them anyway. You know, Teddy Roosevelt once said, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. See, Peter urges us to redirect our focus towards our inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. What he's essentially asking us to do is to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us as we live in community with those who don't believe the way we do. He wants us to let him win them over through us. So we must adjust our posture, redirect our focus, and finally, we should recognize our position. Verse seven, husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. All right, so let's discuss this term weaker. Now repeatedly, the use of this word in scripture has been made to mean so many negative things. When I looked up the word in the dictionary, you get lacking the power to perform physically demanding tasks, lacking physical strength and energy, lacking intensity or brightness. However, I do not believe Peter meant weak the way the dictionary defines it, especially since in the same sentence, he says that wives are the heirs to the gracious gift of life. The NASB version says fellow heirs of the grace of life. See, Peter is actually referring to the delicacy, the heart, the sensitivities that their wives had. He wanted the husbands to see that what would be easy for them to receive may not be as easy for their wives. The Message Bible says it this way. It says, the same goes for you husbands. Be good husbands to your wives. Honor them, delight in them. As women, they lack some of your advantages. Yeah, there are advantages that men have over women. Though times have changed, the fact of the matter is when it comes to differences in opinions and beliefs, men have to be careful not to assert patriarchal norms and traditions held over women. See, I believe Peter was speaking into this. See, in those times, women were seen as property, having less value and weaker minds. And as a result, how you treated them really didn't matter. However, Peter was teaching a new way. He said that men were to honor and respect their wives as equal heirs to the kingdom. He wanted men to recognize the position of privilege and knowledge they had over their wives and to act accordingly so that their prayers might not be hindered. 
You know, when I think about us as believers, I believe we need to recognize the position we have in this world too. See, we have a place of privilege and knowledge that those who do not believe in Jesus don't have. We need to recognize that we have a different position that gives us a different perspective, a perspective that makes it unfair to hold others who don't yet, who have not yet been enlightened. When we come across those that don't believe the way we do, we aren't to be rude or belittling and dismissive. No, Peter teaches us that God wants us to respect them, honor them because they are weaker vessels who lack the advantages that we have, but to understand that though they lack the knowledge now, we are to treat them with the same respect as one who does because God has given us all equal access to the gift of eternal life. I think the critical thing to realize here is when we do this, God honors our prayers. God has called us to re-examine our lives. As we interact with those who disagree with us or, or who believe differently than we do, we must revise our strategy to live in unity, peace, and respect for one another. We need to readjust our posture redirect our focus and recognize our position. Now I said at the beginning that the world we live in is so different. People disagree about everything. Some people's tactics to sway have become less human and more like animals. We are fighting and fussing so much that no one is listening to anyone anymore. This is not the way that we should live. When we as believers come up against those people, God doesn't want us to fight fire with fire. He doesn't want us to fight at all. Isaiah 54, 17 says that no weapon formed against you shall prosper and every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. What does this mean? It means that no matter what someone says about what you believe, no matter what someone does because your morals and opinions line up with the kingdom of God and not the world that will soon fade away, if ever the enemy tries to rise up against you, remember God's position. God will go before you. God will defend you. And spoiler alert, he's already given you the victory. <laughs> These tricks and schemes and tactics of the enemy, because that's what it is, because the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. These tricks and schemes of the enemy, they don't matter because the great defender will protect you. When you, when you revise your strategy, all, all God asks is that you choose to praise him. All he asks is that you choose to worship him and bow down. God wants you to stay still. From this day forward, when you interact with those who believe differently than you, when your strategy doesn't work, revise your strategy and make sure you include God, your great defender. Let's respond in a song of praise. <laughs>